This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. This podcast is brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite by Oracle. Listen, if you have a business and you have one system for sales, another system for inventory, another system for HR, you're all over the place. And it usually will cost you a lot of time and money to have that many systems. Well, here you go. NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of business in an easy cloud platform. It is your one-stop shop for everything from sales to inventory to HR, anything you need, NetSuite by Oracle they have you covered. And right now, it's the number one, actually, cloud-based business system. And you can go to netsuite.com slash Karen, netsuite netsuite.com slash Karen, and you can get the free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com slash Karen. Download the free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, netsuite.com slash Karen. In August of 1619, a ship appeared on the horizon near Point Comfort, which is a coastal port in the British colony of Virginia. 400 years ago, August 20th is the date that they say, the White Lion, a warship commanded by English privateers, docked at Point Comfort. On board were 20 odd Africans who had been captured by the Portuguese slavers in present day Angola. They were stolen during an act of piracy on the high seas. Once on land, the African men and women were brought by the governor of Cape Merchant at the best and easiest rate they could. Hmm. This is the writing of John Rolfe, the colony's first successful tobacco planter. The arrival of this white lion ship and the people aboard is frequently thought of as the beginning of chattel slavery in the United States. And it also is frequently considered the genesis of African-American history and culture. But of course, what we know, those of us who read, is that the enslavement of Africans started way before 1619. The Portuguese, the English, the Spanish, the French had all enslaved not just Africans, but indigenous people as well. Hey, Columbus. And they were transporting these Africans to modern-day Latin America, Hispaniola, which we know as Haiti, and the Dominican Republic, Brazil, which has more African descendants than any place outside of Africa herself, Mexico, since the early 1500s. And so by the time those 20-some-odd Africans made their way to Virginia, this system was already flowing, already studied, to the point that by the time it got to the new world, I'm putting up air quotes around the new world because how can it be new when people were here for hundreds and hundreds of years, they had perfected the system. I want to say thank you to the New York Times, uh, something that I think uh, bears noting. And think what you will about that paper uh, and its recent faux pas with headlines, et cetera, and its sometimes inaccuracies and off-tone deafness. But this piece called the 1619 Project that they produced is amazing. It's an amazing piece of, of, of work, literature, and history, and I think everyone should read it. 
1619 Project, a major initiative from the New York Times observing the 400th anniversary of the beginning of American slavery. This is right from their writings. It aims to reframe the country's history, understanding 1619 as our true founding and placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of the story we tell ourselves about who we are. Let me just say how powerful that is. Just as we have had to relitigate Columbus, which we have in this country. It didn't take it long, actually, to come to a point of taking down statues and even th rethinking the holiday, Columbus Day, to uh, many states across this union are calling it Indig Indigenous Peoples Day, which is more appropriate, and really trying to look at uh, the legacy of Columbus, not as a great explorer trying to see if the earth was flat because we he knew when he set forth when he set sail that the earth was round because the Africans had discovered that way before that, hundreds of years as a matter of fact. But yet a man that actually was brutal and cruel and um, treated indigenous people like dogs, like, like pieces of flesh to be peddled. That's Columbus's legacy. And if we could relitigate that and we could relitigate what the Confederate flag means and, and tell the truth about it being a flag flown as an act of terror, not as pride, not as Southern pride, which we've come to understand that that flag represents terrorism. It represents racism. It does not represent pride in Southern heritage. That's a lie. Even Robert E. Lee knew that. And even the Confederate names on buildings and schools in the South speaks to a history that America needs to start to talk about. So I wanna again applaud the New York Times, the 1619 Project, everyone should read it. Um, you can get a New York Times, you don't have to buy, you don't have to get the subscription, they allow you to read up to 10 articles, right? Free every month, all you have to do is put in an email address. Do that and read, this, read these articles. Um, and I think this counts as one, because I actually went through them all. So I think, I think this counts as one whole article, the 1619 Project. I'm gonna read a little bit of it. It actually starts with a piece entitled, Our Democracy's Founding Ideals Were False When They Were Written. Black Americans Have Fought to Make Them True. This is by Nicole Hannah-Jones, a great journalist, an amazing journalist, and she writes this piece really, it's very personal. It talks about her, her family, her grandparents, uh, the sharecropping that they endured, the racism that they endured, uh, the segregation and how it impacted their lives, but it also kind of talks about how those same people with all of the things, all of those strikes against them, all of the uphill battles forced this country into honoring their citizenship, into honoring their vote, into honoring their, their legacy and their personhood, that America could not be America without the insistence of black people. And we sit in this seat today, 400 years later, in a similar position to force America into becoming the great country that she deserves to be, because we're here and we built it, right? And so it's up to us to force her into that. She's not just going to walk willingly into um, greatness. We have to force that. And all the people wearing those hats to make it great again, we all know what that is as well. It's a Confederate flag, modern day, but also it's a lie because the reality is America has never been as great as she's going to be. And she's going to be great because we're not going to sit back and allow for anything less than that. And that's, that's because we demand justice, we demand freedom, and we de demand not a seat at your table, but a seat at a table that we will build for ourselves. 
because we can build tables in America. That's the beauty. But I want to focus on one of the pieces that has been kind of in line with the things that I've been talking about. And I've been talking about slavery and race a lot in my podcast. I actually have four pieces on The Half Has Never Been Told, which I believe is the quintessential book that just really frames the economy of America and how it all started and why America became the richest superpower in the world. And her and her ability to dominate economically was really at the hands, the minds, the bodies of black people, period. Edward Baptist lays that out in his book, The Half Has Never Been Told, and I've done four podcasts on that, and I think I've talked about it maybe a dozen some odd times in other podcasts, but in this podcast, I'm going to bring it up again because that's a book you should read, but I also need you to read this piece in the New York Times um, in addition to Nicole Hannah-Jones's by Matthew Desmond, and the piece is entitled, In Order to Understand the Brutality of American Capitalism, You Have to Start on the Plantation. And this podcast is brought to you by FabFitFun.com, FabFitFun.com. Use my promo code, this is Karen. You get $10 off your first box at FabFitFun.com. This is Karen, $10 off. It retails for $49.99. You get more than $200 worth of beautiful items. Let me just tell you how excited my mom was. And uh, when she got it, she was like, oh my gosh, she sent me pictures. She called me. She was like, did you send me something? I said, I sure did. And I got one for myself as well. And we have different things in our seasonal boxes because we're different people. You fill out a little questionnaire about the person you're either going to send it to about yourself. And FabFitFun, they will select the items to put in. Again, more than $200 value for just $49.99 at FabFitFun.com. Use the promo code, this is Karen, and you get $10 off your first box. Beautiful items, let me know what you think. And in this piece, he writes about the low road capitalism, which the University of Wisconsin-Madison sociologist Joe Rogers called America, low road capitalism. That's the kind of capitalism we practice here. And he says, in a capitalist society that goes low, wages are depressed as businesses compete over the price, not the quality of goods. So-called unskilled workers are typically incentivized through punishments, not promotions. Inequality reigns and poverty spreads. In the United States, the richest 1% of Americans own 40% of the country's wealth, while the largest share of working age people, ages 18 to 65, live in poverty. And there's a link where you can click to see the verification of what he's saying than any other nation belonging to the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, the the OECD. I'm going to say it again, 40%. 1% of Americans own 40% of the country's wealth, a larger share than any other nation belonging to the OECD. Okay? Let's pause there for a second, because the notion of of enslaved Africans being brought here on ships is these kind of barbaric people who were cannibals, who were running around Africa naked, Africa, the largest country and excuse me, the largest continent in the world, but also the birthplace of civilization, that somehow they were rescued from a dark continent, rescued from a continent that everybody and their mother colonized because all of the resources are there. It is Counterintuitive. Actually, it makes no sense that you can label an entire continent dark and uncivilized when everybody and their mothers come there to rape the resources. How is that possible? And how is it possible that those huddled masses that you shoved into the bottom, the holes of ships to bring here in mass 
through through from 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 Angola and Senegal to the United States of America, how were they unskilled when you needed them to plant your cotton and to cultivate your rice, things that you didn't know how to do? Hmm. Very skilled. Built Washington, D.C. They came with the knowledge of the Egyptians that built the pyramids. These people were far from unskilled. Actually, they were the opposite. But that narrative pu pushes forward into today, where we look at people as somehow unskilled and, and stupid and lazy and all of the things that you characterize them as being so that you can justify your evil. Okay, And this piece spells that out. But what, what I want to focus on is the economy because I need us to understand the power of this dollar. And I need us to understand the power of our, our dollar, the most powerful thing. Our dollar was our bodies in, the, in 1619 and beyond in America, right, for 400 years. Our power lied in our bodies and our hands and our ingenuity, right? Our power and our dollars, which they extracted from us, okay? So... He goes on to write in this piece, and this is Matthew Desmond. Again, the piece is entitled, In Order to Understand the Brutality of American Capitalism, You Have to Start on a Plantation. He writes, those searching for reasons the American economy is uniquely severe and unbridled have found answers in many places, religion, politics, culture. But recently, historians have pointed persuasively to the natty fields of Georgia and Alabama, to the cotton houses and slave auction blocks as the birthplace of America's low road approach to capitalism. Slavery was undeniably a font of phenomenal wealth. By the eve of the Civil War, the Mississippi Valley was home to more millionaires per capita than anywhere else in the United States. Cotton grown and picked by enslaved workers was the nation's most valuable export. The combined value of enslaved people exceeded that of all the railroads and factories in the nation. New Orleans boasted a denser concentration of banking capital than New York City. What made the cotton economy boom in the United States was not in all the other far-flung parts of the world with climates and soil suitable to the crop, was the nation's unflinching willingness to use violence on non-white people and to exert its will on seemingly endless supplies of land and labor. Given the choice between modernity and barbarism, prosperity and poverty, lawfulness and cruelty, democracy and totalitarianism, America chose all of the above, all of the above. And we know about the torture, because I've, again, I've done four podcasts on the half has never been told. And in one of them, I talk specifically about the torture, the torture that was so brutal that it forced evolution within a generation. That is unheard of. But here's the good news. That evolution that happened within a generation, that evolution that allowed for people like Patsy to pick 500 pounds of cotton a day, a little slight woman who was tortured, br brutalized into picking 500 pounds of cotton a day is in our DNA today. That, that doesn't just show up in the ability to be able to have dexterity, to be, to be, the ability to be able to move physically um, faster and, and better. It is in the brain to have to figure out how. It's in the brain to have to figure out how to both endure the lash and also avoid the lash. It's in the, the it's in, and, I, and I'm getting a little emotional because when I think about um, what my ancestors had to endure for me to be here right now, I'm incredibly and eternally grateful um, because they endured, because they, 
they withstood because they survived there there's breath in my body to be able to do more and to honor their sacrifice because that's what it was it had to be a sacrifice because many people didn't uh decide to stay here some jumped overboard right some killed themselves within slavery some some you know killed themselves by by fighting back but those that endured had to be some great incredible uh people who were able to figure out emotionally spiritually mentally and physically how to how to get through something so that we can be here so there's no excuse for why you can't do better. In your DNA is evolution within a generation that both uh, defied logic. Cotton was picked by the hands of black people faster than any machine. But also to be able to endure. But you think about the, the, the nefarious way in which, the, the, the nefarious way in which slavery was carried out, which is written about in this piece. And, but he says that the descendants of enslaved people hold within them the terror and the fear, but also all of the ingenuity what it took to invent and figure out ways to avoid the lash and the brutality, as well as the endurance, patience, and grit. That's who we are. That's who we are. So the piece goes on to say, American slavery is necessarily imprinted on the DNA of American capitalism. Actually, this is a writing from historians Sven Beckert and Seth Rockman. American slavery is necessarily imprinted on the DNA of American capitalism. You do not have this system without slavery. And they, and they go on to write, the task now, they argue, is cataloging the dominant and recessive traits that have been passed down to us, tracing the unsettling and often unrecognized lines of descent by which America's national sin is now being visited upon, visited upon the third and fourth generations. Cotton was to the 19th century what oil was to the 20th century, what tech is now to the 21st century. Cotton, cotton... And, what, and, and think about like when they planted the crop, right? Um, and this is, this is really powerful and I'm gonna make a comment about it. All right, so when you plant cotton or any crop, you can't continuously plant on the same uh, soil because it won't yield the same yield. And in fact, at some point the, the earth would say that's too much, right? So what happened was after maybe four years of planting cotton is that you had to find more land because you had to plant something else where the cotton was to, in order to keep the soil rich, right? So they had to find new land. And what did that do, right? So that meant that they had to go find more land to plant cotton elsewhere. And so guess where they got the land? Anyone? Yeah. Oh, you over. Yes. The Native Americans uh, who were here and magically uh, through force, mostly brutal force, mostly military force. They were able to acquire Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama and Florida. Mm -hmm. And what did that do? That then allowed America to produce by 1831, 350 million pounds a year, up to 500 million pounds at its height, 500 million pounds of cotton produced. So you do the math on how many hands had to pick that cotton. And this led to a change in economic practices, including even our banking system. How we run our companies today directly can be traced to how plantations were run. How we use our accounting system today, how we exact our accounting system. When accountants uh, depreciate assets to save on taxes, or when mid-level managers spend an afternoon filling in rows and columns on an Excel spreadsheet, they are actually repeating business practices whose roots go way back to the slave labor camps. And despite this, slavery plays almost no role in histories of management. You don't hear about slavery's role in business school. Why not? Why not? Why not? 
and we barely hear about its role in American history in college and definitely not in high school and definitely not in grade school. But it's time those of us who know better must do better. And it's time those of us who have children in schools to demand that the true and full story be told. We need to have books like The Half Has Never Been Told as, as reading. That should be on a reading list, summer reading list for our high school kids. Absolutely should be. And if it's not, we need to demand that it is, right? Because we have the power to do that. I want to say this, you know, we're probably going to be talking more about slavery as the year goes on. And I probably won't stop talking about slavery and race and racism uh, until it's no longer a subject to talk about because it's, uh, you know, the injustice has been eradicated. But if this is the 400th anniversary of the first feat of, of Africans to land on these shores as people in bondage. Let's honor that 400 year journey by making sure that this is the last year of bondage for us individually. If you currently don't have agency or self-sufficiency in your own life, this should be the year that you create a plan to make sure that that is so. Because that's true freedom in America. And America's a capitalist system built on the backs of our people. It's time for freedom, y'all. All right, this podcast was brought to you by NetSuite, NetSuite by Oracle. A lot of you have a business and your business is all over the place because you have a system for inventory, a system for finance, a system for H HR. If you have this hodgepodge of business systems, it's usually taking up too much time and too many resources, and that will hurt your bottom line. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you visibility and control that you need to grow. NetSuite actually is the number one cloud business system, and right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at NetSuite.com slash Karen. That's NetSuite, S-U-I-T-E, dot com slash Karen. Download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at NetSuite.com slash Karen. And I appreciate you for listening. I thank you so much for being a part of this family. Hit me up on Twitter at Karen Hunter at Karen Hunter, hashtag podcast. You can ask me anything. I'll respond on a Sunday. Till next time. <laughs>